turn over to the book of 1 John, chapter 2. We're continuing our series today on the 11 tests of saving faith. We have seen that God's Word over in 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, and verse 5, tells us clearly that we are to test ourselves. Paul says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you fail the test? This makes it clear to me that not everyone who says they are Christians really are Christians. It's a term we call nominal Christians, name-only Christians. It is very possible to say and think you are a Christian, but in reality you are not. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 7, many, not a few, not some, but many will say to me on that day, and he's talking about the judgment day, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me. And so it behooves us to test ourselves to follow the command of Scripture to make sure, indeed, we are born-again believers. And so we're looking at the 11 tests of saving faith. Now, your salvation is based on grace and faith. It is by grace we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves, but it is a gift of God not as a result of works that anyone should boast. And so you're saved by God's grace and the faith that He imparts to you to trust Him. But the assurance of your salvation is based on faith and a changed life. The assurance of your salvation, how to know that you are saved, is based on faith and the evidence of a changed life. You see, there's no way that Jesus can come into your life to dwell through His Spirit and it not make a change in you. There's no way that can happen. And every true Christian has the Holy Spirit. Paul clearly tells us that. So as Jesus comes to live within you, He begins to bring changes. It's like the cesspool. That's us before Christ. Mocking, stagnant, filthy water. But then when Christ comes into our life, it's like someone drilling an artesian well in that cesspool. And what begins to happen is the fresh water begins to bubble up in that cesspool. Gradually, consistently, the quality of that cesspool's water will begin to change, won't it? And finally, that fresh water gushing into that cesspool will push all the stagnant, mucky water out, and what you'll have is fresh water. But that's a picture of Jesus coming into our lives. He will make a change. 
And there are 11 changes that I believe that we should see in our lives if we're truly born-again believers. And I believe these are tests that John gives us in 1 John. He was writing to people who in his day said how you lived didn't really matter. It's only what you said you believed. They wanted to separate what you believed from the way you live. And John says you can't do it. Because what you live is what you really believe, not what you say. I could say this building is on fire. But as long as I stand here and keep preaching, you know I don't believe it. Right? But now if I took off running and I said it's on fire, folks, and I took off running, then you'd start smelling for the smoke, wouldn't you? And then you'd start getting up leaving too. You might not, but you'd say if he believes it, he's leaving Who am I to stay and take a chance? So what you really believe is not what you say, but what you live, how you act. And so John says that a true Christian's actions will show themselves. And we've looked at four tests already, and just to review those for you very briefly. A true born-again believer is a person who walks in the light and in fellowship with God. He desires to walk in the light, to walk in the truth of God, and to walk in fellowship with God. Secondly, there is a desire to be obedient to God's commands and to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. There's a desire to obey God. Thirdly, there is the pursuit and realization of a personal relationship with God in Christ. Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. Religion just goes through the motions. Religion goes to church. Religion gives its offerings. Religion says its prayers. But religion doesn't have a relationship with the living Christ. Now, if you have that relationship, you will come to church and you will give your gifts and you will study your Bible and you will pray, but it will be different. It won't be a religion. It will be a relationship with the living God through Christ. And then fourthly, A true believer will experience a consistent struggle for victory over personal sin and Satan. You will struggle. You'll struggle and fight against temptation and fight against sin. And the closer you get to Christ, the more fights you'll find yourself having because the more sin you will realize that's going on about you and in your life. Now we come to number five today. A true Christian will have a growing appreciation of the power and authority of God's Word. Jesus said in John 8 that those who are of God hear the Word of God. Those who are of God hear God speak. One and in whom the living Word dwells cannot help but love and appreciate the written Word that glorifies Jesus. How can you be indwelled by the living Word of God and not love the written Word of God? It can't be. Because the Spirit of God who is in you is the author of the Word of God. 
It was men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit wrote these words that we have that we call the Bible. Now, how can the Spirit of God indwell your life and Him not create within you a love and appreciation for the authority and power of His Word? You see how ridiculous it is to think that you can have the living Christ, the Holy Spirit in you, and and you not love the Word of God? That He would not impart to you that living, loving for His Word? I preached several months ago now about why I trust the Bible as the Word of God. And I gave you several rational reasons why we can trust the Bible. Fulfill prophecies, Jesus trusted it. But all of those reasons are not enough to convince someone who is in unbelief that the Bible is God's Word. You cannot argue anybody into accepting the Bible as the Word of God. Well, how does it come about then? The Holy Spirit reveals it to you. That's why Jesus says those who are of God will hear God's Word. Ultimately, it's not the rational arguments, but it is the unveiling of this truth through the Holy Spirit as He shows you that this is indeed the Word of God. Not just some book, but it is a book that is unique among all books of all times. It is indeed the Word of God. Now, when a person becomes a believer and the Holy Spirit indwells their life, I believe that He gives them this assurance, this conviction, this understanding, this enlightenment that this is no mere book, but it is the Word of the living God. And so I think it is a valid test. That one who is truly born again has a growing appreciation, a growing love of the authority and power of God's Word. He realizes that when a person becomes a Christian, the Bible becomes a new book. Before, it may have simply been to them a book filled with myth a book of stories invented by men. Or it may have been a good luck charm, a book to be had to bring good luck. I have known people who when they go on a trip will take a Bible and put it on their dashboard because they believe if that Bible's on their dashboard, they're going to have good luck. It's going to keep the bad spirits away or something. They won't read it, but they'll put it on that dashboard when they go on a trip. That's their good luck charm. That's what they treat it like. They'll have one in the Bible in their home, but it's not in their heart. When Terry and I got married almost 40 years ago, back in those days, it was very common for family to have a family Bible 
And they were not some little bitty Bibles. They were about this thick and about that big. And it would sit somewhere in the home, usually on a coffee table somewhere in the living room. Well, there was this merchant in town, and it wasn't that large a town, so he could afford to do that. When people got married, he would give them one of these family Bibles. Big, old, white-covered, big Bible. And people were to put it on their coffee table. And, you know, you'd keep records of marriages and had all that stuff in the beginning of it. But not everybody read it. I mean, they had it on their coffee table. It was in their home, but it was not in their heart. A true believer has the Word of God in his heart where it belongs. He has a love and appreciation for God's Word. Now, I want you to look over in Psalm 19. Because David is one who had a love and appreciation for the Word of God. He's called a man after God's own heart. And we see his love and his appreciation for God's Word clearly in Psalm 19. And I want us to look at this for a moment. Now, if you're keeping notes, this is not in your outline in the, in the bulletin. I'll tell you when we get to your outline. Right, David talks in Psalm 19 about God's general revelation, that is, God's revelation in nature. And then he talks about God's special revelation, that is, God's revelation of Himself in His Word. Now, this first section, he talks about God's revelation in nature. In other words, Paul said, there's enough evidence in nature that there is a God that everyone is without excuse. If people will seek that knowledge that they have from Revelation, God will see to it that He reveals Himself to them. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Talking about the stars in the sky. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he's placed a tent for the sun. All right? He's talking about God's general revelation, and he centers on the sun. In other words, the absolute greatest natural revelation of God is the sun. You and I recognize the sun as the most visible, greatest natural occurrence that we have. Right? We know how big the sun is. We know how its heat warms the earth. We know how life on earth would be unsustainable without the sun. We would all freeze to death. We know how indispensable the sun is to animal life. How indispensable it is to plant life. How indispensable it is to human life. And so David takes the sun as the epitome of the natural revelation of God. And he says, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run its course. He's talking about the sun rising in the east and going across the sky and setting in the west. He's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Verse 6, its rising is from one end of the heavens and its current to the other end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. So here he's talked about the sun. He says the sun is the greatest natural revelation that we have. It's the most prominent. It's the one every living 
human being knows, has seen, recognizes. And then he says, now, let me show you the greatest supernatural, greatest special revelation of God, and that is His Word. He's saying, as sun is indispensable to physical life, so the Word of God is indispensable to spiritual life. You see that? He says, as great as the sun is to our physical human life, so is the Word of God to our spiritual life. It is the epitome of the special revelation of God. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. He means by perfect that it lacks nothing in order to be complete. The Bible is complete as a revelation of divine truth. It is complete as a rule of conduct. You don't need anything other than what you have in the Word of God to know truth about God. You don't need anything except what is in the Word of God to give you the truth and principles you need to know how to live life. It tells us everything we need to know to live a godly life. It's perfect. It restores the soul. It first restores to salvation. It gives all that is necessary for salvation. Augustine was being dealt with by the Lord. And he was sitting there contemplating and he heard this child. And he said he couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl, but he heard this child singing a children's song. And how children's songs will repeat a phrase over and over. And the phrase he heard was, take it and read it. Take it and read it. Take it and read it. And immediately, those words struck his soul. He said, I took it as a divine command from God to go and take the Scriptures and open them up and read the first thing that comes to my eyes. And so he went to the Scriptures and he opened them up. And his eyes fell on Romans 13. And he began to read. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. He said when he read those words, they came alive to him. They were God's words speaking to him of what he needed to do. He needed to put his on the Lord Jesus Christ. There and then, he experienced the new birth by the power of God's Spirit using the Word of God. Not only does the Word of God restore to salvation, it restores us to spiritual maturity. Jesus said in John 17, Sanctify them, and that just means holify. Sanctify them in thy Word. Thy Word is truth. The Bible is used of God to bring about spiritual maturity. David goes on to say in verse 7, he says, The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. This is David's way of saying that the testimony is God's witness to the truthfulness of His Word. It is truthful in historical facts. It is truthful in scientific truth. It is truthful in theological truth. When the Bible speaks, we can count on it as being true. 
And he says it makes wise the simple. The Bible gives insights about life, about relationships that will change us from being simple into being wise. To understand about life and about relationships. For instance, someone takes you out to eat and they say to you, hey, order anything on the menu you want. Do you order the most expensive thing on the menu? You know what Proverbs says? Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments. Now, so if you go out with someone and you know them to be a very thrifty person, they may say to you, eat, order anything you want, but you be wise and you don't order the most expensive thing on the menu because he will resent it. Even though he said, you got to know people. The Scriptures will give you wisdom. In verse 8, the precept of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The rules of the Lord give, gives are just, they're proper. And therefore, they rejoice the heart of the godly because to do them is to realize they're loving and not some stern word. We realize to obey God's word is what's best for us. And they rejoice our heart. A man reads in the Scriptures where he says he's to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And so, by God's grace, he begins to love her like Christ loves the church. Guess what? He starts rejoicing in that because he feels good about himself and he feels good because he knows he's pleasing his Lord. So you live the Word of God and it will rejoice your heart. He goes on to say in verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Pure means free from all imperfections, from all stain, from all corrupt tendencies. It is in error. It is without error. It enlightens your eyes. It enables you to see what you should do. It enables you to see what is proper. Twenty-three-year-old girl is dating this guy, and she realizes it's getting serious. Maybe moving toward marriage. But he's not a believer. She's having her Bible study one day and she reads over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? And she suddenly realizes, God says, I should not be marrying this guy. I don't need to be moving in this direction. Because the Word of the Lord has enlightened her to see His truth. He goes on to say in verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. This reverence and fear for God produced by the Word is a reverence that is eternal. It lasts forever. It is not corrupt. It does not defile the soul. But it moves toward holiness. This reverence for God that you find in the Word is going to go throughout eternity. You will add to that reverence as you get to heaven. It is eternal. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. God has judged the Bible to be true, and it is entirely right without exception. 
It is worthy of our universal confidence and trust. David had an appreciation for the Word. He had a love for the Word. Look, he says he delights in it. He said it's more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. David goes to two great desires that we have as humans. One is financial security. We spend years trying to accomplish financial security. And here David says, you know, as good as gold might be, I love the Word of God more. It is more valuable to me than silver and gold. Now, if there was only one copy of the Bible in the whole world, and you had it, somebody offered you $3 million for it, would you give it up? More valuable than silver or gold. Then he goes to the second desire we all have, and that is to satisfy our hunger. And he says, look at it, it's sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, honey is a, is a delicacy in, in biblical days. You know, the Holy Land was spoken of as a land flowing with milk and honey. It was good. A delicacy. He says the Word of God is like honey to me. It, 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 my soul hungers for it. My soul is satisfied when I feed on the Word. When you think about spending time in the Word of God on your daily devotion time, do you see it like a medicine or like a delicacy? The Word of God is that delicacy, that, that great, delicious food for the Spirit. David desires it above all. And then he says the great value of it. He says in verse 11, Moreover by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And he says, if I can obey the Word of God, if I can keep God's Word, it's going to benefit my life. And notice what he says about his desire to live by it. He says in verse 12, Who can discern his errors and acquit me of hidden faults? Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. And I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. Presumptuous sins are sins that come on us because we're prideful. That's like trying to, to go to God last rather than first when we're in a bad situation. Thinking, I can handle it. I can do this. He says, God revealed to me this pride that's in me so that I will not, present those, will not commit those sins of pride. Spending time in the Word will show us our utter dependence upon God. And our need to trust Him and trust Him alone. He says, show me, teach me that, that my ways may be blameless. He says, if I can just learn how prideful I am and how this leads me to commit sins of pride. And, and Lord, show me any hidden faults, things I don't know about. Sins that I commit every day that I'm not even aware of. Reveal those to me and I will greatly minimize my sin. And he knows being in the Word of God will enable him to do this. As God uses it as a light to shine into his life. Sometimes we don't want that light to shine, do we? But if the light doesn't shine, we don't see. We're in darkness. And we need the light of the Word to show us what's really in our hearts 
that He might bring the healing we need spiritually and emotionally. He prays that His words and His thoughts would be pleasing to God. Verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Oh, I want my words, I want my thoughts to be acceptable to You. You know what thoughts are acceptable to God? His thoughts. The more you are thinking and meditating and speaking the Word of God, the more pleasing your words are to Him. The more time you spend in the Word, the more your thoughts and your meditations and your words will be acceptable to Him. David loved God's Word. Because he loved God. Now, let me give you six things that I believe a born-again Christian, in addition to this appreciation and love for the Word, that he should see in his life. Now you're with your outline that you have in your bulletin. First, he is strong in the Word of God. He is strong in the Word of God. Here we have our passage over in First John over in chapter 2, verse 14. Look at what he says. I've written to you, fathers, because you know Him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you. And you've overcome the evil one. A Christian is one who is increasingly drawing his spiritual strength from God's Word. It is... Power food. We talk about energy drinks. We talk about power bars. Well, let me tell you, the Word of God is power food for your spirit. You feed on the Word of God and you will draw strength to overcome temptation in life. You will find strength to do what is right in situations. Over in Acts 15.32, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, we read this, Silas, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, Encourage and strengthen the brethren. Now, this is what I really like. With a lengthy message. Amen. I'm on good stand. I'm on biblical ground when I preach a lengthy message, right? It strengthened them. Alright? It strengthened them. The Word of God gives us strength. That's why you need to be when the Word is preached because God imparts spiritual strength to you. When you're in His Word, in your private study, in the public proclamation. Next, there's an abiding in the Word of God. Look again in verse 14. He says, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you. Now, the problem I see is too many Christians are visiting in the Word, not abiding in the Word. Now, you don't abide here at church. You visit church. You abide at your home address. Because the Word means to remain steadfastly. We need more Christians that are abiding in the Word of God, not just visiting in the Word of God. You abide in the Word as you're meditating on it, as you're studying it, as you're believing it, as you're memorizing it, as you're sharing it. Look what Jesus said in John 8. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. And you shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall set you free. How did he say they would know they are his disciples? What does it say? If you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. Not visit in it. Not just bring it with you on Sunday and sit on a shelf all week long, never opened. But abide in it. Remain steadfastly in the Word. Third, I believe a born-again believer will have an increasing joy and desire to listen to the Word of God being taught and preached. In 1 John 4, 6, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. A person who has the Spirit of God living within them will have a desire to hear the Word of God preached and taught. Now, do I enjoy every preacher I hear? No. Because not all of them preach the Word. But if they're preaching the Bible, they may be dull as dust. But if they're preaching God's Word, I can find something to get out of that message. They don't have to be entertaining. I'd rather have a man proclaim than entertain any day. Because it is a proclaiming of the Word that strengthens the soul, that nourishes the soul, that ministers to the soul. So do you have a desire? Do you enjoy listening to the Word of God being taught and preached? Fourthly, there is a desire to obey the Word of God. Again, in verse 2 of 1 John. Excuse me, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. By this we know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His Word, in Him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. There's a desire to obey God's Word. As a Christian grows in knowledge of God's will through the Bible, he will have an increasing desire to obey that will that's revealed in the Word. The Bible becomes as precious to a born-again believer as it was to his Lord. And the Word was precious to Jesus. We have seen how Jesus held the Word with utmost esteem in admiration. He directed his life by the Word of God. The way he saw situations was determined by what God's Word said. The way people responded to him was determined, and the way he interpreted their response was determined by what the Scriptures said. He would quote Scriptures to explain it. He was dying on the cross. He was quoting Scripture. So when Jesus lives within you, He will transfer to you that love for His Word. And then fifthly, there is the understanding of the Bible. 1 John 2, verse 27. As for you, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you. And I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things... And it is true and it's not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. The Holy Spirit will give understanding to a born-again believer of the Scriptures. Now, you won't understand everything in the Scriptures. You will still need some anointed God-called teachers and preachers. But 
it will be different than it was before you became a Christian. Before you became a Christian, man, this stuff just didn't make sense, did it? But now that you're a believer, suddenly it becomes a new book. It makes sense now. You understand it now. Because the Holy Spirit teaches it to you. And then number six says a hungering for God's Word. Peter talks about this when he says, As newborn babes hunger for the milk of the Word. You don't have to tell a baby to be hungry. They wake up. They're hungry. They wake up and they want to be fed. Right? They desire that mother's milk. Well, a Christian, a born-again believer, will desire the Word of God. You don't have to stuff it in his mouth. You don't have to say, hey, go study your Bible. True people who are truly born again, I find they take the Bible to work. They want to read it during the breaks. They want to read it during lunch. I mean, they can't get enough of the Word. Right? It's a new book. That's that hunger for the Word. person tells me I'm a Christian, but they have no hunger for the Word? I have to wonder about that. Something's going on. person who is not a Christian doesn't have a desire to obey God's Word. He doesn't have a desire to really learn it, to study it, to memorize it, to meditate on it. It's just either a good luck charm to him that it's good to have around to ward off evil spirits and bad things, or it's just a book of myths. Not even worth looking at. He does not have the hunger and thirst for the Word of God that he needs. Do you pass the test? How are you doing? Do you delight in the Bible? Do you draw strength from God's Word? Are you abiding in God's Word? Do you enjoy listening to God's Word being preached and taught? Are you surrendering to the authority of the Bible? Is it your absolute rule of how you live? Do you go to the Scriptures to find out biblical principles and truths when you make decisions? Are you experiencing a greater understanding of the Bible? Do you find a hunger for the Word? I can honestly say, I have been seriously studying God's Word now for over 30 years. And by seriously, I mean spending an hour or more, four or five days a week. And I love it more today than I did 30 years ago. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that everybody in the church is not like me. I have these fellows up here, our leadership team, uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor, and our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections, uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area... Uh, and it doesn't matter what 
race you're from. It doesn't matter your cultural background. I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications on ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.